So for the last several years, uh, I, I think it's been five or six years, the last several years, at my, my mom's family, when I get together with all of my sisters and their families and my mom, and we do all of that Christmas, the adults do a white elephant gift exchange instead of buying presents for everybody because there's a lot of us. Like I've got three sisters and they all have somebody and they all have kids that are getting grown. And then, I mean, like it'd be like 25 presents a piece. And I'm like, I, I, let's not do that. So we, we do the white elephant uh, and it's awesome because I mean, it's just so many of us, but we don't do like the little cheesy gift white elephant. We, we make sure you get a, a big, nice, good present because you're only getting one. And so there's a, a higher limit. Um, if you don't know what a white elephant gift exchange is, when I was a kid, we called it Dirty Santa. Uh, but everybody said, you can't do that anymore. You got to call it white elephant now. And I'm like, well, whatever. But this is the way it works. Everybody gets a gift and they wrap it up and they make it nice. And you, you put it in, uh, they're roughly the same value. You show up at the party, you put it on the floor in the middle of everything. And then you step back. Once everybody's gifts are there, you write down a number for everybody that brought a gift and you draw numbers out and you go in order and you get to pick a gift out of the thing and you open it and you show everybody and it's like, yay, we got a gift and it's it's awesome. But here's the twist with this white elephant gift exchange is that if when you open that up and you look at it and you're like, man, this is awesome, but somebody over here looks at it and says, oh, that's awesome. And they're after you. Then when it's their turn, they can say, I'm just going to take that thing from you instead of opening a new one and then you get to start over and go again and you can take from somebody else or you can open a new one but you can't take back the one that you had so that's the premise that's that's what you need to know about a white elephant gift exchange to understand what happens here so the first year that we're doing this uh my sisters in all of their joyous infinite wisdom spirit whatever's decided we should let mom go first she should be she should be first because she's our mom and because she's old and she might die before we get to the end no it was, that wasn't it no like she, she should go first because we love her and she's our mom and it's her house and i was like but we can't do that now if you know me you know it's not because i want to go first it's because i want to follow the rules the rules are you put your name and you draw a number and that's what you do is you just draw a number and if you don't do that, you're breaking the rules and now you're cheating and it's not the game anymore. And so I'm, I'm fighting against as hard as I can, but my three sisters, because there's three of them, eventually win out the argument. Uh, let, let, honestly, it was because Ashley came and said, Patrick, give it up. And I said, okay. Once uh, she told me I was, she was against me, then I had no leg to stand on. Um, so we go. Now, this first Christmas... Uh, if you've ever done a, a white elephant gift exchange, you, you kind of know what's going on. You, you look at the presents and you kind of eyeball them. You're not allowed to touch them. You're not allowed to move them. Once you've touched one, that's it. But this Christmas, someone had brought in the most massive white elephant present I have ever seen. I mean, it was, it was like two and a half, three feet long, a couple feet wide, like three and a half feet tall. Like it was a mat. It took a whole roll of Dollar Tree wrapping paper to wrap that thing. I guarantee it. Like it was a big present. And if my mom, she's going first, she's like, Patrick, bring me the big one. And I'm like, hold on. Why did I? What? Well, okay, fine. So I take it over to her and she looks at me in the eye like, hey, I got you. See, this is why I got to go first. I get to pick the big one. Ha. And I'm like, well, somebody's going to steal it from you. It's fine. And she's like, no, I'm going first. And she opens it up, and this is what she finds. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I didn't buy that. So, so you know, I, that was not a present from me. I did not pick this. But someone remembered from other times that when you played Dirty Santa or White Elephant that you would get a gag gift or you'd do something funny. And it wasn't going to be your best gift. But this is what she got. I guarantee you that you already know that no one stole that from her. Not a single person stole that from her. She sat there the whole game, having gone first, watching everybody else play, going, someone, please, Patrick was right. It's not best to go first. And to that I said, that's why we follow the rules. That's why we follow the rules. This, this uh, week we're continuing a little mini teaching series right now that I'm calling The Ultimate Guide to a Better Christmas. And if you were here last week, we, we looked and we discovered that the way to have a better Christmas, or one way to have a better Christmas, is to get the right mindset. To have a mindset of worship. And we went back to the first century, to Bethlehem, and we looked at the people that came and that worshiped Jesus there. And we saw that Joseph worshiped through his obedience, through his just following through and doing what the angel asked him to do. We saw Mary worship through her submission, willingly giving of herself and of her body and of her will so that God's will could be accomplished and that the wise men worshiped through sacrifice, giving of their time to travel and of their, their wealth to give the gifts that they gave. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance to check that out yet, uh, go check it out on our podcast or YouTube or Facebook. It's all over the place uh, that you can, you can see that. Today, I want to go back to that first Christmas again. But I don't want to look at the people that are surrounding. I want to look at the, the man himself. I want to look at that, that beautiful little baby and see what we can learn about him. Because I think what we're going to learn as we see, as we look for this way to have a better Christmas, is that to get where he was right then on that day, Jesus exhibited the mindset of humility. The mindset of self-demotion. The mindset of putting others first. Which is a little bit foreign to us because in the culture that we live in, we're all about advancement. We're all about promotions. We want a better salary. We want a bigger office. We want a nicer boat. We want a nicer view. We want the corner so that we can have windows all around. We want all of these things. If we get on an airplane, we really want to be flying first class. If we go to a hotel, we really want the five-star luxury deluxe suite. We want all of the options. We want all of the extras. We want the bells and the whistles. Because that's who we are as a people. We want that nice, comfortable existence. And we are oriented to move up in the system rather than down. We always want to go up. We always want to go forward. We always want to keep moving. And that's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. God-honoring achievements are amazing. They're wonderful. We need people that are climbing the corporate ladder that are solid Christ followers. Like, that's a necessity. That's something we need to have in that world. But if Jesus had this same view, if Jesus also put advancement and promotion ahead of everything else, Christmas would have never happened. Christmas couldn't have happened because the incarnation of Jesus into this world was not about him getting ahead. It was not about him becoming better. It was not about him helping out himself in any way at all. It was him lowering himself down, pulling back, setting aside his power and his glory so he could come and look people in the eye and say, I love you. 
And it is this life-changing love and humility that allows us to have Christmas at all. There is an amazing passage from Paul to his, in his letter to the Philippians where he, he's going through and he's thanking them for being a part of the gospel and he's thanking them for doing all the things that they're doing. And then he pauses and he, he tells the Philippians about the mindset that Jesus had that led him to earth. Now, I believe that he did this to underscore our need to adopt a, a selfless kind of uh, lifestyle and a selfless kind of thinking. Um, but I think this is really what Christmas is all about. Because Paul takes this example of Jesus' advent in the earth, this, his example of his, of his becoming a human being, and he sets it before this divided party of the Philippian community. And he says to them, you guys should treat each other with Christmas love. Treat each other with Christmas love. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. I want to look at this passage. I want to read it to you. Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, in the door that you came in, there's a little, like, girder-looking thing over there. There's some Bibles on that. Feel free to grab one of those. If you don't have a good, readable copy of the Bible at home, take it with you. Uh, it's a free gift from Venture Church to you because we believe it's important for people to have a good, easily readable version of the Bible. Uh, but you can also look it up on your phone. I won't feel like you're texting anybody. I know you're not watching a World Cup game because there's not one this morning. But next week's the final during the, the, the play. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, but it'll also be up on the screen behind me. So let's take a look at this passage. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. He says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do you feel Christmas in that? Do you see it? Did the implications of what's being described there hit you? Like, this is an important, impactful thing that Paul is sharing. This is huge because this is Christmas. You know, so often at Christmas, if you're like me, you get focused on that great story of the couple going on a trip to Bethlehem, uh, of uh, the baby being born in the manger and the shepherds coming to see him and the wise men coming and everybody's there and it's awesome. And we've got all these little picture books and we've got these storybooks and we love this story. And we should. I don't want to take anything away from it. But I think that the reason we love these stories so much is because it's the human perspective. 
as things we can relate to. We, we know what shepherds are. We, we know what sheep are. We know what newborns are and what swaddling is. I didn't learn that until I had kids, but I know what it is. Like, it's, it's, it's a tight wrap-up. That's what it is. Uh, that's why sometimes it says wrapped in cloths. Cloths. Um, I, I've always, the S on that has always bugged me. Um, but I guess there's more than one. Whatever. So, uh, but we, we love that Christmas story. We love that narrative that's happening there because we can relate to it. Because it, it makes sense to us. Even though there are supernatural things happening, it's the human perspective. But this passage from Philippians, this message that Paul shares, this is the story of Christmas from the other side. This is the story of Christmas from the lens of Jesus Christ. This is the story from Jesus' perspective and explains the price that his love caused him to pay so that we could have Christmas morning. And it tells about this series of demotions that Jesus had to take just to get here. I mean, he came from heaven to earth. He became a man, and not just uh, any man, but a, a bondservant, a, a slave of a man. He, he came and he served and he did and he worked He wasn't a man of affluence. He wasn't a man of wealth. He wasn't a king when he came into the world. He came to be a sacrifice and submitted to death so that he could become our savior. But like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons used to say, it was the first step that was a doozy. Because that first step that took Jesus from heaven to earth was the greatest demotion that has ever existed in this world. And it was so much bigger of a gap than all of the other steps that he took. I don't know that those of us that have only known this world will ever actually understand how big the gap is between heaven and earth. I mean, we, we can't even describe it. We have no categories that we can squeeze it into and say, this is what I think it kind of would look like. Because we don't know what it was like for him there. We can make some suppositions. We can make some guesses. We, we, we know that he was honored. We know that he was there with the Father and with the Holy Spirit all as one in one place at one time, worshiping together, being worshiped together. There, there are writers in, in the biblical times that were able to see glimpses of heaven and it, in their minds they were able to only express it in a way that, that they already understood. So we got words like it was full of gold and there were precious jewels and that there were uh, angels and there was pure water and an abundance of food and lots and lots and lots of worship and celebration and it just is this painting of this beautiful, wonderful, perfect, peaceful party. Where at the center of it is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all together in communion with one another. How those legions of angels must have marveled at the intimacy that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit had together. They were inseparable. 
get in your head whatever the greatest picture of heaven you can imagine is. Once you've got that locked in, get it in your head. All of the streets paved with gold, the diamond seas, the the clouds that are full of angels singing worship. Get all of that in your head. Now contrast it with what we know about the first Christmas. As sketchy as that piece of heaven that you just conjured in your head is, even from that golden throne to the manger is a big gap. And it's probably nothing compared to the reality of it. You see, when Jesus came down from heaven to earth, he didn't come down on a chariot of fire drawn by angel horses to set foot in the capital of of Israel in Jerusalem and step out and say, Greetings, everyone! I am your Savior, and I'm here to help you! And then send out a wave of energy that just made everybody perfect and good. No, he didn't do that. That was not how he came to the earth. It would have been awesome. I'd watch that movie, but it's not what happened. Jesus' first moments on earth, when he landed here, the very first thing that he experienced was a dark, warm womb where he spent months as a passenger, unable to do anything other than randomly like elbow mom in the kidney. I don't, I don't know. But that's it. For months and months, that's all he was. He was a passenger. He was on this mothership going around. And then the next thing he experiences is human birth. I know that we've all experienced that. Like, don't get me wrong. I understand that we've all have been there, but we don't remember it. But I I feel like Jesus probably did. And that does not seem like a thing that you want to remember. That does not seem like a thing that you want to deal with. Like, that's his first memory of being outside of the womb is the stress and the uncomfortableness and the pain, and the sudden cold. And here is the sun. Here is the most powerful being that's ever stepped foot on this planet, right in the middle of it, having to deal with the stress of being born. He probably even had one of them cone heads. You know what I'm saying? Like, he did that stuff. And not only did Jesus have to come into a world like ours, but imagine his first sights and sounds. He was born into a barn. Do you know what animals do in barns? They live there, and they don't know how to go outside to the bathroom. So the first thing Jesus smelled was probably cow manure. Think about it. Like this, he went from the glories of heaven where everything is good and perfect and wonderful and great to a cold, scratchy, smelly, probably loud. I mean, there's probably sheep in the background. Like, what are you doing? This is his first experiences. Friends, I don't think we have any idea what Christmas cost Jesus. We don't think about it about how much he had to lower himself to become like us. Because it doesn't, it doesn't even stop there. Christmas continues because then he has to grow up. He has to go through all the things that people go through. He went through puberty, guys. 
He, he, did, he did all the things that we do, and the whole time he's going through all these things, the whole time he's going through the pain and the, and the hurt of just being alive, the whole time he's knowing that he was, that he is God. That he can make it all change. That he can make it all go away. That he has the ultimate power. But he has to grow up. He has to go through all of that so that he can fulfill what he's meant to do. And then if all of that wasn't enough, finally, many, many years later, he begins his first public ministry. And goes to tell people this message that he paid so much to come and tell them. And so many people just rolled their eyes or crossed their arms or started trying to do everything that they could to poke holes in his theology, in his knowledge. And they just wrote him off. The religious leaders just wrote him off, totally oblivious to the incredible price that he paid in humility and in love to even be on the planet to deliver this message in person. How does that happen? How do, you, how do you get there? How do you go? How do you make the choice to go from uninterrupted eternal fellowship with the Godhead that you are part of, from sitting on a beautiful golden throne where everyone around you is worshiping you and singing songs to you and everything that you want is there and available with all of the power of all of creation... a stable being wrapped in cloths and lying in an animal food trough with not even enough power to get up and go to the bathroom so that someone else has to clean your diaper how do you make that choice what would cause such a dramatic transition such an incredible moment of self-demotion. Friends, that is love. That is the Christmas kind of love, and it is the greatest emotion that the world has ever known. And what it teaches us is that love, true love, requires humility. True love requires setting yourself aside and setting the person that you love ahead. And Christmas requires humility. It's got to, because love knows no other way. The love that motivated Jesus to take all of those steps downward, to pay all of that cost, is what we're supposed to be shining and sharing in this world. The same love is supposed to pour through us. I believe that Paul gave us this passage. The reason he wrote this down, the reason he sent this to the Philippians was to remind us that we need to find that mindset that we can pay the price of love. That we can set aside all of our selfishness. That we can have a mindset of humility. Paul understood humans. Paul knew that in our heart of hearts, we desire to dominate 
and not to demote. It's our nature is to dominate and not to demote. We, we want to be in charge. We want to be the best. We want to be on top. And it starts from the moment that we're born. Babies cry to let us know they need something. Babies cry to tell us that they are in charge. And they can't tell us in the right words, so we just got to guess. They're crying. Well, do, does, is he poopy? Okay. Uh, does he need hungry? Is he hungry? Does he need food? Does he need uh, to, to just play for a second? Does he need to snuggle? Does he need to not snuggle? Do I need to not touch him for Like all of these things. And we learn from that moment right there that if we're loud enough, that eventually our needs are going to be met. And we think, oh man, but we'll grow out of that, right? No, because toddlers do the same thing. They'll see somebody else playing with something or doing something, and they don't, they're not the center of attention, and so they'll misbehave, or they'll be loud, or they'll throw something, or they'll break something, or they'll whatever to get our attention, and they know all they got to do is be loud. All they got to do is work forward. All they got to do is go... A little bit further, a little bit more. Push, push, push. Get the best. And then it doesn't get any easier. As you get older, you start looking at what the people around you have. And you're like, I need to have that. I need to have at least that and then some more. And you keep pushing. And then when you get old and in the workforce, you're looking for that promotion. You're looking for that raise. You're looking for all of the good things. That's because we want to dominate rather than demote. that tendency is carried on and on and on through our lives. What began as a survival instinct, what began as the only thing that we could do, drives our whole life. And so what I think Paul is suggesting here to the Philippian community is that if you want to have a better church, if you want to have better relationships, if you want to be the best that you can be as Christians, it's not about getting ahead. It's about living a life of humility. And he says, if you want a great example of that, let's look at Christmas. Let's look at the mindset that took Jesus from heaven to earth. And let him show you how to do it. Because he volunteered. He said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll step down. I'll be demoted. I will take that pay cut so that everybody else can have glory. I will go and deal with that cold, harsh life so that everyone else can enjoy eternity here because I see and I know how good it is because that's the way that love works. That is a Christmas kind of love. And we want it to work a different way. We do. We, we want love to be easy. We want it to be less painful. We want it to be less costly. But, but love just can't. So, in order to have a better Christmas, we need to realize a mindset of humility. And that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because for some of us, that means that we're going to have to take a step down and not be first. Go against our very nature. Go against what the world is screaming at us. 
and say, no, 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 no. I don't need that last one of those toys that I was going to buy that I forgot to go and get. I don't need to fight for that. Yes, I just used the plot of Turbo Man in my sermon. It's okay. I don't need that. I, I don't need to f- undercut someone else so that I can get that promotion. I don't need to be this person. I can step back. I can give to someone else. And it's not going to be easy because it might mean letting go of grudges that you've held on to for years. It might mean giving forgiveness out finally for some past offense. Maybe it is that you don't agree politically with your family and you know when we get there, it's always this hot topic and it's always crazy. And for you, it's going to be, let me just put my personal agenda in my pocket for right now. I'm not going to worry about that. For the cause of Christ, I will not engage in this argument with you. Maybe to mend a relationship, you're going to have to serve someone that doesn't deserve it. You're going to have to share with someone that, that just can't deserve it. And you're going to look at them, and when you do, I want you to remember that, that we could never deserve the price that Christ paid for us. And all the things that we ever do, we will never earn that. And his life came in, and it was a life of service. Born as a poor baby, teaching and growing and learning, submitting to his parents' will, washing his disciples' feet, carrying his cross on his back. He served even when it was inconvenient. We need to get there, but to do that, it's going to take letting go of some things this Christmas. But the good news is letting go is a free action. You can do it, and it doesn't even take anything away from what, you're, what else you're doing. You can just, just drop it. And that is what a Christmas kind of love demands. You see, from our, our side, Christmas is all about getting Christmas is about what am I going to get? What am I going to have? What am I going to do? What is this going to be awesome? And we got the best present ever. We got Jesus on Christmas morning. And that's amazing. But from the other side, from the very first Christmas, to God and to Jesus, Christmas has been about giving. About giving everything. Jesus didn't let all of the things that he possessed in heaven, his power, his glory, his uh, stuff. I don't know what stuff you have in heaven. But Jesus didn't let any of that prevent him from coming to fulfill his mission. His mission to tell us, you are worthy and I love you. His mission to protect us from our own choices and our own selves. So we need to find that mindset of humility if we want to have a better Christmas. Because it will mean less arguments. It will mean less challenges. And it will mean so much more love. Pray with me.